All right, this morning we will begin uh, three lessons on understanding and living a temporary life. Understanding and living a temporary life. We're going to talk about time. I tried to think of some grandiose title and I had none because I just want to talk about time. And time itself is a powerful word that we use probably more than we think we do. We're going to talk about how we ought to see it as believers. We're going to talk this morning about simply realities about time that everyone has to accept, believer or non-believer. Then we're going to talk uh, in the next lesson about time realities from a Christian perspective. You'd be amazed at how much Scripture tells us about time and how to think about it. That is, our Lord communicates to us how to use what He's given us, that is time, Then the third lesson will be on realities about time for Christian growth. How that we cannot see time as an enemy, but instead see time as a blessing. That's our challenge. Because if we don't see time how God wants us to see it, it will be an enemy. It's an enemy we can't stop. It's an enemy that we can't turn around. We can't get back time. No matter how rich someone is, they cannot buy back time. They cannot stop it. It simply keeps on going. But we talk about time all the time, uh, many times casually. A lot of times we will ask, well, what time is it? We just want to know what time it is. Uh, We have all kinds of devices, our computer desktops, our phones, our uh, watches that always tell us what time it is because we want to know the time. Uh, A lot of times we'll tell people, I'll do it when I get the time. So we're very time conscious. Uh, If we don't think we can do it, a lot of times we'll tell our friends and neighbors, well, I don't have the time. And if we really can't do it, we'll say, I'm out of time. And I love what my students always ask me in class, what time do we get out? Um, (laughs) uh, They are very time conscious. Uh, That's what they want to know. A lot of times they'll raise their hand. I think they have a big question about history. Mr. Mulligan, what time do we get out? They can't always read the clock. Uh, Some can tell time from the clock, some can't. Uh, So it's very interesting how we see time. Again, time is unique. It keeps on going regardless of what we do. So this morning, we're going to talk about, in what I just want to call time part one, reality is about time for everyone. You don't have to be a believer or a person of faith on any level to simply acknowledge these realities about time. First of all, think about our time consciousness. Remember growing up, you recognize that first picture? I didn't watch soap operas, but there was one that it started in a unique way that I thought was just interesting. Now I think, hey, that was pretty good. Uh, The soap opera Days of Our Lives. I don't even know if it's still on. Is it? It is? Natural? All right. I'm not sure. There's a few others that are still there. Um, but it always started with this kind of soft, but kind of what I'd consider an ominous voice. Um, as the sands of the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. Oh, that's pretty good. And an hourglass, I've never had one, but... In preparation for this lesson, I put one in my Amazon cart because I'm going to get one and kind of use it a little bit, maybe in 
my classroom or something like that, but just the, the hourglass as that sand slowly goes down. It's just, you can't stop it. You only need to turn it upside down or something like that, but that's not really fair. Time is moving on. Uh, a rock singer by the name of Steve Miller wrote a very famous song where those memorable lines are, time keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping into the what? Future. And then I think the chorus was tick-tock. TikTok, and one of the most famous apps, by the way, of, of school kids is TikTok. Um, so we are very time conscious, even on a deeper level, beyond just saying what time it is. A soap opera even captioned, uh, as the sands of the hourglass over so the days of our lives, or time slips into the future. Just another example, um, a lot of common uh, popular movies, actually, I think I have Left out a slide. I did. Um, but Back to the Future. There were three versions of that. Where someone goes back into time um, in a Hollywood-style way to, to either make sure something happens or to, or to change something. Uh, there's Time Magazine. Somewhat antiquated method of communication now, but Time Magazine is a good reflection of time. Because whoever's on the cover, and if you had the slide I thought I had, you would see Elon Musk. But as I was pulling up Time Magazine covers, there were a lot of people that have just faded into the believing of time. That they were very relevant at one period of time, but now they're stopped, they've stopped being relevant. Or they've been forgotten even though they did something at one point in time. Time just keeps on moving on and will leave people behind in the dust. They were once the most popular people on the planet. Time just keeps on moving. It keeps on slipping into the future. Well, let's talk about simply time as everyone needs to see it, and we're going to look at Scripture, but to see how these things that are said about time are simply things that are applicable, applicable to everyone. And here's the first principle, and we've got to come to terms with this. Your days are numbered. Your days are numbered. Turn to the book of Psalms, chapter 90. I want to look at verse 10. We're just going to look at some statements. For time's sake, we won't look at the full context of the setting. There's a lot that could be said about the context. But I just want to look at these statements that are said about time. And the quicker we come to terms with them, the better off our life will be. The quicker we come to terms with what is said about time, the better our life will be. And this first one is simply that our days are numbered. In Psalm chapter 90, we have a psalm of Moses. David is the author of most of the 149 psalms. Or 150, I believe it is. He's the author of most of them. But in this psalm, it's a psalm of Moses, which pushes back the time frame. Moses lived around 3,000 years ago. And he says this about time. 3,000 years ago, before all the medical advancement of our day, before all the scientific discoveries of our day, all the advanced learning we have, computer models, algorithms, artificial intelligence, all the things that we have today, look what Moses said by the inspiration of God, that is God speaks through him, about time. Verse 10, Psalm 90. Moses says, Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures 
Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow. For they quickly pass and we fly away. We'll just stop here. This is simply a stark reminder about time and its realities. Let's look at what's said here, kind of breaking it down a little bit. First of all, he says, our days may come to 70 years. In preparing for this, I never really caught that before. I just always focused on the 70 and then the 80. But here, Moses says, our days may come may come to 70 years. There's some lives that never make it that far at all. And all it takes is watching TV shows that talk about lives that prematurely ended. Um, Sadly, I read last night about a family whose youngest son died. I don't even know the circumstances. But I know he was in his 20s. In no way made it to his 70s, let alone 80s. And for all different reasons, lives will end many times prematurely early due to illness or accident, unforeseen circumstances, or even someone not even wanting to continue their life. But then Moses says in the second part, our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Well, first of all, what's not being said? This does not mean that God has predetermined the exact lifespan you will have. It's not like God says, well, Ricardo, I'm going to give you 75 years, six months, three days. There's no scripture that affirms that God has some kind of personal timetable for you. So the idea that someone says, well, God wanted to take him, that's not a biblical statement. Or the statement, well, his time was up. Never think that God is determined, okay, you're going to only live so long, that is you, and then one day you're just going to go. There's no scripture that affirms that. This is simply a principle about life that was said 3,000 years ago. God has determined the general lifespan of human beings. That's what is being said. If you read back in Genesis, before the flood, people lived hundreds of years in age. Methuselah into his 900s. But after the flood, things changed. And Scripture deliberately says, or directly says, I should say, that God shortened the lifespan of humanity. And here we find a very specific general parameter. Not a specific one for individuals, but general parameter. That is, our average life expectancy is about 70 years And if we have the strength to endure, about 80. Some don't make it that far. Some will live well beyond their 80s. Who passed away yesterday at 99 that you grew up with in the morning? Bob Barker, good job, natural. Yeah, lived in 99. There's some that live over 100. But that is relatively, if not very, rare. But this is a general parameter. Harvard Health, I kind of looked this up to see if average life expectancy had changed over time. Maybe in all of our good eating, our dietary habits, our medical advancements, we've really expanded this and this is antiquated. So I looked it up and I said, well, let's just go to Harvard, Harvard's website. And there's a site within Harvard's site uh, simply entitled Harvard Health. The average life expectancy in 2021 was indicated to be 76 years old based on scientific research. 
76. That's dead center, almost, between 70 and 80 years old. 3,000 years ago, God said through Moses, it's a 70 years by matter of strength, 80. 2019, according to Harvard Health, was the highest. Average life expectancy, 79 years. It fell to 77 later on, and now it's settled at 2021, or it's settled at 76 in year 2021. There is no medical answer, no scientific answer to the effect of time upon our bodies. The average life expectancy has not changed in 3,000 years ago. So our days are numbered in a very real way. If we live beyond 70, 80, that's wonderful, but I don't speak to too many 80-plus-year-olds that say, hey, life is great, I'm in my pinnacle. They talk about the struggles of life living that long. They still are thankful for their life, but it gets very difficult to just do things that used to be simpler. And no one deliberately wants to end life early, so um, just for the fun of it. We want to live, but there seems to be this natural structure to our lives that whether you're a believer or not, it's 70 to 80, and God simply says that's what it is. So what do you do when your days are numbered? Well, first of all, we've come to terms with it on some level. All right, we have calendars. We live by calendars all the time. Paper calendars, there's one right on my desk at home. Everything I'm planning, Lord willing to do, that month is right there. I write ahead. Daily, it constantly come back to it. Uh, at school, a lot of times teachers will say, well, did you put it on your calendar? And what that means is on Google Calendar, where we have ways to specifically track all of our time and appointments and, and things like that. And that is, in a way, coming to terms with the fact our days are numbered. But there's a deeper level we need to do that. Yes, we need to keep track of time and not miss appointments and know when we're supposed to go here or go there. But the greatest way to come to terms with time is to recognize it's limited. And we'll never get it back. Jeff Bezos of Amazon, other founders of great companies who are taking us into space and exploring the greatest levels of computer abilities have not had had any answer to this issue of how do you stop time? How do you expand it for everyone? Our days are simply numbered. So we just have to accept that. They don't expect a lot of things to happen beyond 80, other than trying to do the best you can one day at a time. There will be good days and bad days when we enter our elderly years. You may not know the next day what you're really going to feel like doing or be able to do. That's simply life's reality. Is that a little sobering? Yes. <laughs> but it's supposed to be. Sometimes you have to do some blasting before you do building. Because if you think your best years are going to be when you hit your 70s, you're, you're living in a false reality. And there's so many that have lived with jobs they've hated. They've lived in circumstances they haven't wanted to, but they think, well, when I retire, I will go out and do everything I want. Have you ever driven by big parking lots full of RVs that were once brand new that people have abandoned because they, they bought them and they were going to travel all over? 
but all of a sudden one spouse, they lost their health, the other spouse needs to stay home taking care of them, and everything they had planned, because they thought their 70s and their 80s were going to be their best, most active years, ended up being their years of self-preservation and trying to get by one day at a time. And the doctor's visits or the health concerns simply did not allow them to do everything they thought they would do. So recognizing that your days are numbered is one of the greatest things you can do. It helps you monitor time and to think about it correctly. Well, here's how you do that. You need to count your days. You need to count your days. Verse 12, Psalm 90. Moses says, after he said, our years are 70 to 80 if we have enough strength, he says, teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Again, the reason for recognizing our days are numbered is not to be full of gloominess and, oh, what's going to happen tomorrow? Will I die tomorrow? Oh, I only got 10 years, maybe 20 years. That's not the direction God wants you to go when you think about your days being numbered. He wants you simply to count your days, to value them, to treasure them, to manage them, to structure your day in such a way that you are making the most of the days that you have on this earth. And that doesn't mean being real busy all the time. That is not what it means to manage your time or to make the most of your days. That is, fill them full of activity. I've met a lot of exhausted believers that are worn out trying to do too much for too many people and too many things because they just keep going. Now, the intention is great, but you can prematurely end your life by being stressed out with good things. That is not what God is looking for. It says, teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Wisdom means, man, how do I use this time? That's a blessing, but also is very limited. It's a very limited commodity that I can't get anywhere, and I'm always losing it. How do I look at life? First of all, Moses says, teach us. This is a prayer to God. His psalm is a prayer to God. He says, teach us to number our days. So we need God's insight. Lord, how do I manage my day? Do you want me full of Christian activity from 5 in the morning till 12 at night? Or is there another way to approach life? Should I be laying around a lot? Do I need to like, spend half my day at work and half the day resting? I, I don't, whatever it is, it's got to come from God. And that's what Moses expresses here. Teach us, Lord, to number our days. What does it mean to number? Again, number doesn't mean fret. And if someone is too close to that 70 years, and by a matter of strength, 80, it's not designed to make you fearful. I turned 59 last Monday. I'm, I'm talking like I'm 60 already, because I just want to get there and accept it. But I don't want to be fearful of it. I don't want to try to pretend like I'm still 30. I don't want to pretend like I'm still in my 40s. I want to see myself where I'm at, but I don't want to be fearful of the fact that once I get to 60, I, 10 years from 70, and I don't want that to inhibit me in the sense of keep me from doing what God wants me to do. So numbering our days cannot mean being scared to death, but it does mean to reflect and to take into account how we use our time. A lot of times 
college students are asking their college courses to write reflection papers. Uh, when there's an incident at school, when students are caught fighting or they're caught doing something bad, it's not always about punishment. The first thing they're expected to do is write a reflection statement. <laughs> uh, what made me so mad to hit this other student? Or what made me think that I could walk to Starbucks uh, when it's a closed campus and you're supposed to stay here during lunch? It's a reflection to help students think about the choice they made. And that's what we need to do as adults too, to think about our time, to reflect upon it. Not fret upon it, but to reflect upon it. Big difference. The Lord does not need or want burned out Christians that are fretting and stressed out about their time or scared about it. He wants His people to reflect about it or reflect upon it. Gain a heart of wisdom. How do we best use our time? Sometimes the best words about time come from people that you least expect it. Where you don't really need a biblical revelation. You just need someone's own words. Steve Jobs, who invented many of the electronic devices we have, died in 2011 at age 56. And he wrote this statement about life in his last days. Some are not sure exactly if this is all of what he wrote, but he wrote these words about life that are amazingly profound for someone in his perspective. One of the wealthiest most successful, recognized persons of our time that changed the life of all of us with this iPhone, for better or for worse, but I'm going to go with better as long as we use the tool right. Look what he says as he was in his last days as he was stricken with cancer. And all of a sudden, his days became very numbered. I want to read these words that he wrote in his last days. Steve Jobs said this, I reached the pinnacle of success in the business world. In others' eyes, my life is the epitome of success. However, aside from work, I have little joy. In the end, my wealth is only a fact of life that I am accustomed to. At this moment, lying on my bed and recalling my life, I realized that all the recognition and wealth that I took so much pride in have paled and become meaningless in the face of my death. That's reflecting upon life. He continues, you can employ someone to drive the car for you, make money for you, but you cannot have someone bear your sickness for you. Material things lost can be found and replaced, but there is one thing that can never be found or lost, that's life. Whichever stage in life you're in right now, with time, you will face the day when the curtain falls. Steve Jobs goes on to write this. Treasure love for your family. Love for your spouse. Love for your friends. 
Treat yourself well and cherish others as you grow older. And hopefully wiser. We realize that a $3,000 or $30 watch both tell the same time. You will realize true inner happiness does not come from the material things of this world. Whether you fly first class or economy, if the plane goes down, you go down with it. Therefore, I hope you realize when you have mates, buddies, and old friends, brothers and sisters, who you choose to laugh with, talk with, sing with, talk about north, south, east, or west, or heaven and earth, that is true happiness. Do not educate your children to be rich. Educate them to be happy. So when they grow up, they will know the value of things, not the price. He continues on. He says, eat your food as your medicine. Otherwise, you will have to eat medicine as your food. You catch that? The one who loves you will never leave you for another because if there are a hundred reasons to give up, he or she will find a reason to hold on. There's a big difference between being a human being and being human. Only a few really understand it. You are loved when you are born. You'll be loved when you die. In between, you have to manage time. The six best doctors in the world are sunlight, rest, exercise, diet, self-confidence, and friends. Maintain them in all stages and enjoy a healthy life. He wasn't a believer. He never made any pretense whatsoever of having any kind of faith in God, but time and facing the end of life made him think very much like a believer. There are not too many things in here that are not affirmed in Scripture one way or the other. Again, Moses writes, look again at verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we might gain what? A heart of wisdom. Not teach us to number our days so that we might expand it five more years. Or sneak an extra ten out of life. Again, I don't know what life's going to look for me if I look like a hundred. Or live to be a hundred. It's going to be a rough way to live at a hundred. He says simply to teach, or to number our days so we might gain a heart of wisdom. To, to live what we have well, the 70 to 80 years. To live it well, to make decisions about people, about time, about values. That's the way to count your days. Treasure them as days that are very precious about what you do with your mind and your body and your time. Number three, some places are good for counting. 
I would say, well, I want to start counting my days. Go forward to the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. It's a couple books. The chapter 7. If you're serious about counting your days, there's a place to go to count. If you go there uh, and you think about what's happening there, it'll help you treasure those days. And this is just one of many good places. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 Verse 2, here Solomon, who is most likely the writer, says this about places to go that are very valuable. He says, verse 2, it is better to go to a house of what? A house of mourning. That means a funeral home. You're not sure what he means, but there's other places. It's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, that means a party. For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should do what? Take it to heart. Remember what Moses said, teach us to count our days so we might gain a heart of wisdom. This is another way of looking at the same thought. There's a place to go where the counting becomes really good. Where in fact you can become an accountant. If you go there and you think about what you're participating in. A house of mourning. Much of my early life was spent in full-time ministry. And I had many occasions to go to houses of mourning. Held many funeral services, whether they be for devout believers or people that had no belief at all. And having to sit there for an hour, maybe an hour and a half, depending on how many friends or family would speak at the end, kind of forced you. Because no one's on their phones at a funeral. There's no entertainment to distract us. You don't just get up and leave when you're done. You've got to sit through the whole thing. The obituary about someone's early life, where they lived, where they went, their children that survived them, or grandchildren people that have left their life, people that are still there, things they did, places they worked, you hear all that. Then, if you're blessed, you hear a sermon about life invoking some of these very scriptures. But even in celebrations of life where there may not be a strong biblical focus, there's at least a recognition that this person lived a life, but they're not here anymore. This was their life. It was wonderful, beautiful. They had high school trophies. And they got some good job promotions, pay raises, and they had a lot of friends. They tr went on cruises. They, they traveled here and there, but that's all done. And they're not even seen anymore. And shortly after that service ends, people are going to go back to their regular life. There might be a meal afterwards, but most likely those people are going to be talking about everything, everything else because it's a catch-up time for them. So... This reality of an hour and a half becomes very valuable to attend funeral. If you're a funeral avoider, you've got to think about why. <laughs> it's a good place to have a reality check. There are other places. Nursing homes. People in nursing homes will tell you about the value of time and life. And how they wish they'd done maybe things differently or they're glad they did certain things. Because now they can't do anything but stay in that room and have people come to them.
Retirement homes are good, places to count. The photograph albums that many older people have that show you a life that was well lived, but it's all in the past. History classes are really good. Famous people that are now just caricatures almost. And Time Magazine's good. I mentioned that earlier. You see how many people and things became irrelevant over time. They're the biggest hit at one point in time, one week. Time Magazine is weekly, right? One week, this is really big, or this person, we're going on to other things and other people. Time moves. So count time. Go to places that help you think about time. Church services do that. Funerals do it. Any time people are reflecting on time and how to live, that's a place to count. That's a place to count. And Solomon says, this is the destiny of everyone. No one's going to live above death. Death is an appointment we cannot cancel. We cannot reschedule. The only thing that might interrupt it is the Lord's return. So do some counting. Find your place to count. Maybe there's no funeral scheduled in your life. But take devotional time to reflect upon your life. Not to hurt yourself with things that you wish you'd done different. But to think about what you have still ahead of you. Because your life is not thankfully defined by your past. It's always moving along and you have the chance and opportunity to change what will happen tomorrow. Don't underestimate the power of your choices to do things differently. To make amends in situations that need amending. To make better choices than you made 10 years ago or 20 years ago. There's always the opportunity. So time can be a friend, not an enemy. And that will be our challenge in the next two lessons. To make time your friend. Not that we're ignoring the 70 to 80 years reality, but instead seizing the moment. Carpe diem, you know that phrase from the great Robin Williams movie? Seize the day. Because the scripture says, today is the day of salvation. And awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead. It's seizing this day to live the fullest of lives, and that's what we'll focus on. Jay, we're going to skip the final point. We're just going to put that into the next lesson. Because it fits so well in the next lesson to come. But I'm going to respect your time. And practice what I preach. <laughs> That's right, I don't want Austin asking, when do we get out of here? Uh, but time, it's precious. Don't waste it. Don't abuse it. Don't forget about it. Use it to your advantage as God wants. And we'll see some great teaching in the weeks to come about how to seize the moment of our day.